Wow, what a service. What a move of God. I want to start by just thanking God for showing up in such a big way. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I appreciate the presence of God that I feel in this house today. My goodness. And thank you to all of our students. Aren't they doing a great job? Thank you, guys, our drama team and with, the, uh, with everything that was done today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I do want to mention all of our media people and sound people and especially Nathan Henson who has been cutting up video clips now for six weeks. Not really. But um, a lot goes on behind the scenes to make a service like this possible. Casey and Hannah had a lot to do with the service. Tremendous. I am so thank you, Sister Rana, for uh, the vision effects. Just tremendous, tremendous course. Thank you. So proud and thankful for all of you, all of the hard work. And, of course, thank you, Pastor and Sister Murphy, for allowing us to have this service today. They are really the, the vision driving this, and they are certainly by how about ministry, 150%, and we love them very much. How about the interviews with Brianna and Krista? Isn't that awesome? Both of those young My goodness, I tell you, um, both of those young ladies are just, they, it just blows me away what, what they are doing and what God is doing through them. And uh, pray for Krista, pray for Krista. She... She faces a lot of opposition uh, in serving God, especially, and I want you to lift her up in your prayers as you pray. Youth group has just eaten in the coming weeks. It seems like since youth camp, our, um, our youth group has just exploded. Wouldn't you all agree with that? I mean, we've got a remodeled teen room. That's pretty cool. But more than that, we're, just see we're seeing new miracle growth. We're seeing God just, just the us spiritually. And what I'm really excited about is the tremendous, the, the students are stepping up. They're beginning to lead in various areas throughout the church, throughout, uh, as you saw with Brianna at her school. It's like God's just taking us up a level just in the last few months. And I'm just excited about the tremendous just moving of God's spirit across our student ministry. And I think we, I think we ought to thank God for it one more time by clapping our hands to him. Praise God. There is, obviously today, we the, the theme I decide, we've talked primarily about and demonstrated the primarily to you that I can decide to make a difference. I can decide to be the change. I can decide to make today the first day of the rest of my life. And that's what the service has been about, what we've demonstrated today so, so beautifully. There is another aspect of this whole idea of, it's a more sober, that I want to spend the balance of our time together today. It's a more sobering one, and I believe today that God has prepared the way for the Word of God. It's going to be a more sobering message today, a little bit out of the ordinary for what I normally preach, but I've been burdened for this service with this message for almost two months. And I'll explain a little bit more about that here as we go along. But as we charge headlong into another semester, another school year complete with all of its distractions, its temptations, all of its negative influences, God has come to remind us today that we alone, our eternal, decide for you 
I decide for me. We alone decide our eternal destiny. It's a choice that everyone in this room has to make at some time or the other. To not make a choice is still to make a choice. And we ultimately decide where we will spend eternity. So for the next few moments, I want to speak to you very soberly, very seriously. The service will take a turn at this point as God begins to talk to our hearts about eternity. And our decision now will affect where we spend eternity. I want to read today from Luke chapter 16. And I want to read a scene of scripture, verses 19 through 31. Luke chapter 6, Jesus, verses 19 through 31. There was, this is the voices of Jesus Christ, or the words of Christ. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham mercy on me and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but, be, but he is now comforted, and thou art tormented. Besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass the Father, that thou would come from thence. Then he, that is the rich man, said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let dead they them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one went un from the dead unto them from the dead, they would repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So today I want to talk to you for a few moments. I decide where I will spend my eternity. Barry Bremen was an insurance salesman and marketing executive. He lived a fairly normal life with a wife, three children, just outside of international Michigan. But Barry Bremen was not propelled briefly into national consciousness, nor given a brief run at fame for being a businessman or a family man. No, Barry Bremen gained notoriety as the great imposter. He was known for his prolific, get this, sports impersonations. To name a few, on February the 4th, 1979, he donned a Kansas City Kings uniform and got onto the basketball court during pregame warm-ups. He sneaked onto the field All-Star game. On July 17th of 1979, he sneaked onto the field at the Major League Baseball All-Star game wearing a New York Yankees uniform. He played for the umpire at the 1980 World Series and actually made it down to home plate 
for the pregame start with the other umpires before being discovered. Most interestingly to me, he played an entire practice round with Fred Couples and Curtis Strange at the 1985 U.S. Open. And on at least one occasion, Bremen was arrested. I want you to consider for his antics and fined. And that is the point today I want you to consider with me. For all of Barry Bremen's disguises, for all of the roles he tried to play, when Barry Bremen stood before the judge on that day to receive the penalty for his antics, he had to go as Barry Bremen. On that particular day, no disguise could hide him from the long arm of the law, from the judge. On that day, he in this life as himself. So today I want to begin with this premise that whoever we attempt to be in this life, whatever masks we may wear, whatever roles we may play, there is a day coming, according to the word of God, in which we will all stand before God and the real you and the real me will be revealed on that day. We will be judged according to the standard of the word of God and how we live our life to that word. Now here at Grace, we strive very hard and we're very intentional to live up to our name. As you've seen demonstrated in the service today, it is our mission to love, to motivate, and to show grace to our community and to those in our world that need it. And there are countless testimonies in this building right here, right now, of people who have walked into this church that were shipwrecked, lives torn apart, hurting, without hope, but because the healing hand of God touched them in a service much like this for tomorrow, they'll have life more abundantly. And they live a life of purpose with hope for tomorrow. I'm thankful for grace, both the church and the grace of God. But as Jesus Christ himself balanced his message of grace and love and reconciliation with the weight of eternity, so must we here today take the time to pause and consider the truth that there is an eternity waiting on each of us. Each of us does have an eternal soul. C.S. Lewis made the following very profound, is going to live forever. He said, quote, Christianity asserts that every individual human being, he goes to live forever. And this must be either true or false. He goes on to say, now there are a good many things which we would not be, or a good many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were only going to live 70 years, but which I had better bother about very seriously if I am going to live forever, end quote. We will spend, I have come in one of two places, either heaven or hell. And I have come today to plead with our young people, and to plead with our moms and dads, do everything you can to make heaven your home. Stated another way, I will state very clearly, please do not go to hell. Hell is one of those topics that's fallen out of our collective consciousness as a postmodern church. You really don't hear a lot of her not to preach anymore. Most prefer not to think about it and especially prefer not to preach about it. 
But I want to say in passing today, I'm thankful to be part of a church with a pastor that will still remind me and my family about hell as our pastor did just a few months ago. And whether we want to acknowledge it or not, whether we want to think about it or not, Jesus was clear. And the Bible teaches that there is a place called hell where the eternal wicked will be punished by a fire that will never be quenched. When Jesus relayed the story that I read to you today about Lazarus and the rich man, he was speaking to an ancient audience of Jews that would have understood very clear writers that he was talking about a literal hell. The great writers of centuries past had much to say on the topic, and we know from context that they believed in hell. And I will share very quickly a couple of things here. Quote, the sinners are set apart when they die upon this great pain, said one author. First, there will be plague and pain forever and retribution for their spirits, end quote, said one author in the second century B.C. Uh, An author from the first century A.D. said, justice has laid up for you intense and eternal fire and tortures, and these throughout all time will never let you go, author from the first century A.D. So the Jews were not in doubt, nor were they surprised when Jesus taught about hell. In fact, we know from Scripture that Jesus mentioned hell by name on 12 different occasions of the things that Jesus allegorically or metaphorically on many others. I want to give you just a brief sampling of the things that Jesus said about hell. Matthew chapter 23, verse 33, he said, You serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Matthew chapter 13, verse 40 through 43, As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shilling and gnashing into a furnace of fire, where there shall be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, verse 45 through 46. He said, Verily I say unto, his, unto you, inasmuch as you did it not unto one of the least of these, you did it not unto me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous unto life eternal. I will move very quickly, but the followers of Jesus Christ, the disciples, the apostles, uh, who Jesus left the implementation of the church unto, are on them things. Paul writing in 2 Thessalonians talked about a flaming vengeance of fire on them that know not God and an eternal punishment. In 2 Peter chapter 2, the apostle Peter wrote that God spared not the angels that sinned and cast them into hell and that he would also do the same with the world. He said that he uh, turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ash as an example unto those who live. He has the most, the book of Revelation, also written by the disciple John, probably has the most to say about hell in very, very clear terms. I will mention quickly Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophets are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. He goes on to say in verse 12 and verse 13 of that same chapter that the wicked will also be cast with the devil, fearful, the angels. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, he says, The fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake 
which burneth with fire and brimstone. Again, in light of these scriptures, I want to plead with everyone in this building today, please do not go to hell. If you go to hell, you will be in great torments for all eternity. And I believe that one of the things Jesus wanted us to glean from the story of Lazarus, as did, is that those in hell will be able to see into paradise, as did the rich man. And that will be part of their punishment, that for all eternity they will see what they missed out on, the chance for eternal salvation. We know also from our text that hell will burn eternally and will be almost more than we could bear as far as the fire goes. Can you imagine with me this morning the kind of torment that the rich man must have been in when he asked for a drop of water to to soothe his parched tongue? To him, that would have been like an ocean of water. So convincing was the torment. But it's tragic. And as unimaginable as those two tortures could possibly be, to me, the most striking part of the story, and the one that I have come to preach to you today, the one that I want to highlight to the hearing of everyone that is here, is this. The rich man, after he gave up pleading for mercy for himself, when he realized that he himself was a lost cause, and that there was no returning from the hell that he was in, He turns his attention to his living family members. He turns his attention to those that are still alive. We might even say those that still have a chance. And he essentially began to beg God and say, please send somebody to warn them not to come to this terrible place. He said they are still alive. They still have hope. They still have a chance. Would you please send someone to them to warn them not to come to eternal damnation. So today, students, young people, moms and dads, Grace Church, my message to you today is this. Everyone in this building today is still breathing. Everyone in this mess in this building today is still alive. You still have an opportunity to make the right decision. You still have a chance to avoid an eternal destination without God. You still have a chance to say, it is well with my soul. Today, I'm not asking you to consider where you want to spend eternity. I'm asking you to consider where you will spend eternity. And those are two very different statements. I decide. You decide. No one can decide for us. I've been in youth ministry now right at 20 years, 20 years, and I've seen the generations come, and I've seen the generations go, generations just like this, I've seen them go, and I've seen them come, the staggering thing, the thing that I live with on almost a daily basis, and what grips my heart so passionately about this message, is that in every generation that we've worked with, without fail, there are some students who stay, And there are some, and as soon as they're old enough, they walk out the back door, and we never see them. So statistically, statistically, I know as youth pastor that not every student that is sitting here today will be saved. And that is almost more than I can live with. Because as I look at your students, and I look at the students that I'm privileged to lead, there is not one of them that I am willing to say, okay, I'll let that one go. 
There's not one face that I can look on and legitimately say, I'll let that one go. Far from it. On the other hand, as I survey this crowd and I look at these students, I want every one of them to be saved. And I want to do everything in my power to have 100% participation when we go to heaven. When the trumpet sounds or when we die, I want to see every student saved. I cannot live with a world and a life where there is one that is lost. We must be saved. We must make our eternal election and calling sure today. And I've come to preach that there is hope today. As paralyzing, as terrifying as the picture of hell that I have painted is, the cross of Jesus Christ stands in stark contrast in its beauty of salvation to the destruction of hell. Because of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary, you and I can be spared the torments and the judgments of hell. You and I can be saved. And I want to pause here and say, we have a Savior. We have a Savior. Jesus Christ is still the hope of the world. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made righteous unto God in him. 2 Corinthians 6, in essence it says, And today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Jesus said in a verse that I believe we all know, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to know that everlasting life is available today. You and I are still breathing. You and I still have a right now. You and I still have today and we still have an opportunity to make a change in our life. Now it is here that I will switch gears just a little bit, and I will make another observation about this uh, story that Jesus told. It seems to me, in addition to warning us of the eternal torment of hell, and warning us about the indescribable darkness an unimaginable pain of a hell without God. It seems to me that Jesus wanted to highlight another very important concept and idea when he shared this story. It was as though he was contrasting the life of the rich man and the life of the poor man, Lazarus. Now, I don't believe that Jesus was saying that it is a sin to be rich. I believe, rather, what he was pointing out is that the rich man lived according to a world standard that said, I will amass unto myself goods. I will live comfortably. Perhaps we could say the rich man lived according to the spirit of his day, heaping unto himself a life of wealth, making sure that he was the in the know and was the who's who of the day, and not considering his life in light of eternity. So busy was he doing his thing, hanging with the right crowd, being all the right places, 
being a success by the world's standards, that he never stopped long enough to think that there is more to the li- to life than the here and now. There's more to life than today's passing fad or tomorrow's next big thing. And so he had an attitude and a posture that is echoed in other passages of Scripture. In fact, it is echoed by the wisest man who ever lived, a man who spared himself no pleasure, a, a man that everything he wanted he heaped unto himself. And when he came to the end of his life, he called it all vanity. That is a waste. And he wrote these words in Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9. He said, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and set and in the, uh, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. It was almost as if Solomon in this passage was being sarcastic with the young man that he was addressing. I picture him speaking to the young man or the young person that he was speaking to as we do sometimes as parents when we address our kids. You might say, to put it in our terminology, he might have approached his, his, his uh, young protege there by saying, you want to live like you want to live? Well, go ahead. You want to run with the wild horses? Go ahead. You want to experience everything that the culture has to offer? Go ahead. You want to live by a standard that says, do what seems right in your own eyes? Have at it. But just know this. God will bring you into judgment. There will be a day where the scales will be balanced. There is coming a time when your actions will be weighed by an eternal standard. So the warning to us today is that I must live my life in light of that reality. I must weigh every choice I make in the light of eternity. And I must know that how I choose to live my days on this earth will will have an effect on how I live my life in eternity. John Wesley said that the real value of a thing is the price it will bring in eternity. Students, young people, I want to tell you, nothing in this world is worth your eternal soul. Nothing in life is worth going to hell over. Being saved must be my utmost and top priority. I must not allow myself to be distracted with life. must not allow myself to be encumbered with the things of this world that would cause me to lose sight of my eternity. The reality today is that the choice is completely yours. Especially our young people. You have your life before you. Your life stands before you as a blank slate. You get to chart your own path. You get to fulfill your own destiny. Today, I've come to remind you that how you chart that path, the choices you make, matters. It matters. Moms and dads, the same is true for us. The decisions we make will affect the eternal destination of our kids and our families. I'll quote from C.S. Lewis once again. He said, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts, end quote. Young people, the the half in and half out, I'll just kind of serve God halfway road is a dangerous road. The road that says I'll behave one way when I'm at church and another way when I'm with my school friends is a dangerous road. The stakes could not be higher. 
We're not playing for small stakes here. We each get one chance. We get one life, and how we spend it matters. The stakes are eternally high. I want to conclude today by describing to you what is causing me to preach with such burden and with such passion and such troubled spirit. If our, our musicians would begin to make their way the closing moments of this message. Almost two months ago now, I, uh, I had a dream. I was asleep, of course, in my bed, and God gave me a dream that was a personal dream. It was relevant to me and, and my family. And I woke up immediately and was laying there pondering the significance of the dream, trying to weigh out what all it meant. And the Holy Ghost just fell in that room, and I could feel God talking to me. And then out of nowhere, seeming unrelated to my dream, I had a vision, as it were. And I was standing right here, where I'm standing now. And all in just a flash, in just a moment, all of the faces of our students flashed across my eyes, just in a panoramic. Just I saw all of them. I saw all of your faces. And God spoke to me in a, in a near audible voice. And he said, tell the students, please don't go to hell. And immediately he quickened the scripture in the passage that I read to you today. I began weeping, sobbing almost uncontrollably. I ran to my prayer altar in my house, and I wept and I cried and I prayed for our students for a long, long time. And since that moment, as we all stand, since that moment, I've not been the same. I've carried this burden. I've carried this message for two months now. I'll never get away from the statement that Anthony Mangan made at camp meeting a year ago. He said, if my house was on fire and my family were lost or my family were in that house, he said, you couldn't keep me out of the house. He said, you couldn't physically restrain me from running in and doing everything I could to pull my family out of that burning house. And that's kind of how I feel here this morning. The house is on fire and there are students that are in the house and I've got to do everything I can to pull them out of the house. Grace Church, it's prayer time on a Sunday morning. Once again, God has come knocking at our door. Once again, he's come talking to our young people. Once again, he's come talking to our families. Once again, he's come talking to our moms and dads. What are we going to do about it? So he began to sing. They began to play. What are we going to do about it, Grace Church? Are we going to make our calling and election sure? Are we going to make sure that we spend a life in the presence of God? Are we going to heed the word of God that says, please don't go to hell? You've been given a great opportunity today. You've been given a great chance today to make things different than they have to be. You've been given a great chance to walk out of here a new person, 
a new man and a new woman, a new creature in Christ Jesus. Oh, somebody come help me pray for these students. Come on, church. Come on, church. Y'all come help us pray. Families, moms, dads, everybody, come help me pray. Come help me pray. Come help me pray. I want everybody praying all over the building. Everybody praying. This is time for travail. It's time for intercession. It's time to get a hold of the altar. The choice is ours today. The choice is ours today. Come on. Come on, somebody. I decide. I decide where I will spend eternity. I have one life. I have one life that I can live. I have one life that I can give. Come on. Come on. All over the building. All over the building. The presence of God is here. The Holy Ghost has been coursing through the service. Somebody wait in and let God do something in your life right now. Somebody wade in and let God touch you. Hallelujah to God. I'd like to invite everybody to come, if you would. Everybody all across the building, would you make your way up to the front? Help us pray. Help us pray, everybody. Everybody in the house, would you come this way and help us pray this morning for just a few minutes for our young people, for our children, for your family. Would you come pray for your family today? Would you come pray with your family? Praise the Lord. Everybody in the house, come help us pray. Come help us talk to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to ask you to take advantage of this atmosphere to get priorities straight, to really determine what's really important. Praise the Lord. Everybody in the house, help us pray. Everybody help us pray. Everybody help us pray. Everybody help us pray.